Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life with the advisors from Foster and Motley. In this podcast, they share their mission to help individuals, couples, and families achieve the life they envision by providing a comprehensive wealth management experience. Join this seasoned team of experts as they explore actionable steps to improve your financial well-being and answer your most pressing questions. If I knew then what I know now, what a difference that would make. You can help make that difference for the young people in your life with what you're going to learn today on this episode of the Foster and Motley podcast about wealth and life. Suppose you knew in your 20s the importance of saving early, how credit cards are different, how debt can build very quickly, and the role financial planning can play for you. Well, today you're going to get some insight into all of those things. Welcome back. I'm Patrice Sikora, and with me are financial planner Joe Patterson and investment manager Tom Guidi. Guys, when did you realize you had a financial life that actually needed managing? I think I first made that realization, Patrice, uh, in my early 20s. And that's, that's the audience we're trying to speak to today. Uh, when I got my first real job uh, at Fidelity, uh, and you're talking to two Fidelity alums here, we had to make decisions. I had to make decisions for myself. Uh, what kind of health insurance do I want to choose? Do I want to participate in the company retirement plan? How much should I put in the retirement plan? Do I need renter's insurance? Uh, the answer is yes, by the way. So that point in my life, again, early 20s, getting that quote, first real job, uh, you get a lot of questions and decision points thrown your way. And if you don't have a good resource to go to, then it, then it can be challenging. And I had a good resource in my parents um, who I considered to be financially knowledgeable, but, but not everybody has that privilege. Uh, and that benefit. So what Tom and I know from doing this for, for a little while is that a lot of times we will say, man, it'd be good to work with people when they're younger because these decisions get amplified over many, many years, right? And, and there's huge benefit to making good decisions early and building good habits early. And it's really challenging to roll back the clock when you're in your 30s or 40s and say, oh, I should have done X when I was in my 20s. You can't. You, so you, you're in catch-up mode, whatever the topic is. So uh, this, is, this is a time when setting good habits in place and starting off on the right track makes things easier and more manageable as you move along in your financial life. Tom, how about you? When did you realize yeah, this is uh, causing me to reminisce a little bit thinking back. And I don't think, uh, just for frame of reference, I'm 43 years old. So I went to college in 1996 at a state school, uh, graduated in 2000, uh, bought my first home in 2002. And for younger people today, you know, a lot of those things maybe aren't as realistic to do just you know, one after the other, uh, because cost, uh, school cost, homes, um, they all cost more than they once did. Uh, so thinking back, I got out of college with about $12,000 worth of student loan debt. Uh, that probably seems miraculous today. Um, I bought my first home in 2002 for 
you know, maybe $125,000, uh, which is pretty low price, but it's a three bedroom ranch house, nice neighborhood. Um, but that was just the reality I lived in back then. Um, so thinking when I first had to manage these things, I think, um, Back to that home purchase. I was getting married in about uh, nine months. Uh, me and my soon-to-be wife uh, found a house we wanted to buy. We ended up buying it in my name. Um, I had an income. My wife was still uh, wrapping up grad school. Uh, and uh, a couple you know, month later, we're looking to outfit the house. So we went to the Sears store and we're going to buy a, wa- yeah, a washer and dryer and a new dishwasher and all, you know, all these appliances that you need for this house. Because if you have a house, you need new appliances, apparently. And yeah, the typical, you know, low interest rate debt. And I was working for a financial company at the time and I'm thinking, you know, 1.2% interest. That sounds great. You know, certainly that's, you know, a reasonable thing to take out debt for 1.2% interest. And so you know, my my wife was working then, I was working then. And I said, well, yeah, sign me up. I, I wrote out the application. I was denied. I was denied credit at, Whoa. The, at the Sears store. Whoa. What did <laughs> and, you do? Well, what apparently, what I, apparently what I had done is I just bought a house a couple weeks before and I had our, my credit pulled a variety of times. And um, when they looked at my credit application, they said, yeah, I don't want to lend to this guy. <laughs> so, so I think that was kind of a, <laughs> a moment of a little bit of nervousness, but I was thinking oh, I could, I could pay cash for these things, but I kind of wanted to borrow them. Um, so my wife ended up, or my soon to be wife ended up buying all the appliances in her name, but it just, you know, I had no idea about how, you know, credit worked. It was just kind of muddling along until that point. So I think that was the the kind of gut check moment where I said, well, I didn't think about all these things when I had my credit pulled, you know, five, six times to get this mortgage. And um, I don't think I even had a credit card at the time. Um, so how that all worked. All right. So this is perfect because here we want to talk to young adults, their early to mid twenties, and that's exactly where you guys were. What would you tell them at this point in time? Let's start out with what are the the high level things that they really should consider right now? So let's take the recently graduated 20 something uh, who is working their first job. And admittedly, some of these things apply, whether you're working, whether you're continuing on in grad school, but let's presume we're talking about an individual like Tom and I and at our stage in life in our early twenties, uh, employed, uh, we found a job. We we're lucky enough to find a job, uh, and we have cash flow in the form of a paycheck. And with that cash flow comes decisions and responsibilities. So one of the first things that you'll be thrown at is a retirement plan. Most likely, not always, but most most employers uh, are of the critical mass that they can offer their employees a retirement plan. Uh, And sometimes that retirement plan comes with a nice benefit in the form of a match from the company. So you put in 5%, the company will give you another 4% and you're saving 9% of your gross income right off the bat. So that's a first decision point. Should I participate? Uh, you, You should. How much should you contribute? 
that's a that's a discussion that kind of hinges on your cash flow. Uh, what can you afford? We always say, at the very minimum, put in enough to get the match. Right? If you do nothing else, put in that amount to get the match. And a lot of times, companies have an auto enroll feature where, just by virtue of being an employee and filling out the human resources paperwork, you'll get enrolled in the plan. Uh, which is good because again, these ha- these are habits that are easy to set early, and when you set them in place and make good decisions, then it carries forward. Again, you get these options thrown your way, and they can be overwhelming, right? How much should you put in your retirement plan? Should what kind of insurance should you choose? Yeah, I mentioned that before. You're going to get maybe more than one option, and they might look different. So. What do I choose? What works best for me? Uh, most commonly now, we've seen this option, which is a high deductible plan tied to a health savings account. And that health savings account is one of those places you can direct extra cash flow. Uh, gone from many employers are the traditional, what we call a co-play, copay plan, uh, where you pay 20 bucks to go see the doctor. Uh, because you don't feel good. So these high deductible plans are more common because they're more cost-effective for employers as the cost of health insurance has risen over the years. Mm -hmm. Uh, So all these types of decision points come at you quickly. And that's tough because they also carry with them some ramifications as far as, you know, the types of, you know, decisions you make going forward, right? And how much you can save and how much extra cash flow you have. All those things hinge on these first decision points. Now, the good thing is you can change how much you put in your retirement plan pretty much at any time. You can change your health insurance each year at open enrollment. So uh, these decisions aren't frozen in time forever, but it is good to get off on the right foot. Now, you were talking about an employer offering an IRA or 401k. That's fine and dandy. What about a Roth? Yeah. So the Roth IRA is a, is a fantastic savings vehicle for the young saver. Uh, Roth IRAs allow for tax-free growth of your investment. So if you make a contribution, you don't get any benefit from making that contribution from a tax perspective. However, at least on the front end, but those assets grow and stay invested and and you should stay invested. And we'll talk about that uh, over time. And any growth, any income that they generate will never be taxed again. If you take money out of that account, in retirement, which is which is the goal of that type of account, uh, you don't pay any taxes. So the converse is a traditional IRA or a 401k that gives you a tax benefit on the front end. So you put money into that account. Let's say you put $1,000 into a traditional IRA or traditional 401k. That'll reduce your income, your by $1,000. So you get a tax benefit, right? For the young investor who in theory is on the lower end of the spectrum of their earnings potential, right? Starting out, get an entry-level job. If, if things go how you want them to go, then probably you're earning less today than you are in the future, all other things being held equal. So that Roth option, what we call an after-tax savings option, is really nice when your tax rate is low. The other thing that plays in your favor is that the longer you have to invest, the more favorable the Roth option is, right? Because you pay that tax now, let those assets grow and grow over time. 
the more they grow, the more benefits you're getting. So really the rule of thumb is the younger you are and the less you're earning makes a Roth contribution more appealing. The older you are and the more you're earning makes the traditional tax deferred contribution more appealing. Now you mentioned investing, supposing you have dollars to invest. Tom, where should a young person put that money? What investments? Yeah, that's a good question, Patrice. Yeah, for a young person who's saving for something far off, you know, presumably retirement with a retirement account, it's going to be have um, the time that um, or a stock investment makes sense. So there's going to be uh, through an employer-sponsored plan, stock mutual funds, the U.S. stock mutual funds or international stock mutual funds. Um, you know, the investing more in stocks makes sense uh, because they have time. If there's a stock market decline, which there will be during their career, to wait out the stock market decline um, and continue investing. The, as you get older, you know, near retirement, then it would be a question of adding bond investments um, to reduce the risk, but that's a far off decision. Now, one of the common options in an employer-sponsored plan, like a 401k, are target date funds. So target date funds, um, so Fidelity, for instance, has Fidelity Freedom 2030 for somebody looking to retire in 2030, where, well, certainly that'd be a nice goal for somebody young. Um, it's probably an unlikely goal, but they also have you know, Fidelity target date 2060, I presume. And 2060 is almost 40 years out. It's going to have mostly stocks um, and it's a mix of US stocks, large and small companies, international stocks. And those investments, um, as you get closer to 2060, it's going to add things to reduce the risk. But it's all managed for you. It makes the decisions for you how much you're in US stocks, how much you're in international stocks. Um, that can be a useful investment for those that eh, don't want to take care of the day-to-day -day management of their portfolio. Um, but otherwise, you're making a decision of, okay, how much of the US investments should I place? How much in large versus small? Um, all those can get a little bit overwhelming at the beginning. A lot of times those pre-mixed funds um, can be a useful first step into a company retirement plan. And there are similar options when you do it alone. If you're doing it on your own with an IRA option, you could open an account with one of the discount brokers um, that could be Vanguard or Fidelity, Schwab. There's a variety of choices. Um, and um, if you want to do a lot of research, make your own investments. That's a, it's a choice. You can invest in individual stocks. You can invest in mutual funds, exchange-traded funds. Uh, but the commonality is that you should be more in stocks when you're younger, and bonds are probably something that waits till you get older. All right. And, and here we're talking about saving. Okay. The IRA, 401k, um, employer match, putting money away, saving it, accumulating it. What about debt? Here you've got some debt, perhaps it's a student loan, perhaps it's credit cards. Should you pay that off before you start saving or should you do the saving and then pay off the debt or a combination? 
Yeah, it it it's situational, um, and that's a great question because debt for those who have debt uh, will speak for some of your free cash flow, right? So many individuals come out of school with a loan from their experience in college. To Tom's point, it's often significant. Um, average loan balances are quite high. Uh, it's not uncommon for even with an undergraduate degree to come out with 40, 50, 60, $70,000 of student debt. Uh, those are big numbers, right? And, and sometimes they're higher. So you, you don't have the choice to not pay those, right? But you can review the structure of your debt. And, and by that, I mean, not all debt is necessarily created equal. Some debt has higher interest rates. Some debt has lower. All things equal, if you have extra cash flow, paying off those loans with higher interest rates first makes sense, right? Um, there is a tendency among many folks, and it's completely understandable to say, I just want to pay down debt as quickly as I possibly can. And, and we've seen individuals shift all their free cash flow to paying down debt. Uh, it is good to pay down debt, right? It's, it's not having debt is, is a nice thing. Um, but that's where we come back to distinguishing debt. So if I have a loan with a rate of 3%, let's say, uh, that's pretty low. So presumably I can invest those funds in a diversified portfolio as a young investor that owns mostly stocks or funds that own stocks uh, and expect over time, not every year, but over time to achieve a rate of return that exceeds that. In that case, paying off that debt comes with a cost, right? It, it comes with a benefit because I don't know that interest rate at 3%. Uh, but the cost is, well, I could have invested those funds elsewhere in my retirement plan in a Roth IRA and earned a rate of return that's not only higher, but also comes with some tax benefit, right? In the form of either deferring tax or growing those assets tax free. Uh, the other way to av avoid debt becoming a big slice of your pie, of your cash flow pie, is to not have it in the first place, right? So, credit card debt is something you can't avoid um, with good budgeting. And credit card debt comes with very high interest rates. So, forget the numbers I just mentioned three or even four, five, six. We're talking rates that are often 15, 20, 25%. Uh, those can those can spin out of control quickly. So the best way to avoid paying credit card debt is to not have it in the first place. Suppose you do have it. That is your number one objective is to get rid of that debt because that will keep compounding. And if you pay the minimum and you know now if you get a credit card statement, you'll see very clearly because it's required of by law that here's your minimum payment. Uh, paying the minimum payment on a 20% credit card debt will do nothing other than allow it to keep growing over time. So uh, that is a situation where we can comfortably say, hey, this is, this is something you have to deal with. And you know, there is a return on that investment, right? Paying down debt provides a return. In this case, it provides you the ability to not pay 20% interest. So that's where you can say, okay, I do have this debt. I have to prioritize, even if it means that in the short term, I'm not going to be hitting my marks on savings is where I want to. It's, it's, it makes absolute sense when you're talking it through. But I'll tell you, as a 20-something, I had no clue about this and how to look at debt and how to look at, at 
paying off loans or saving or where to put the money. If some young person were to come to you now, would you welcome them with open arms and sit them down and say, this is your first lesson? What would you do? What do you, where do you start? So I, I think a great first step for a young person is to take inventory of what you have. And that sounds simple, and it may be. In our world, we often call that a balance sheet or a net worth statement. So you can do this on your own. You can do it by hand. You can do it in Microsoft Excel. Uh, you can use online tools such as Mint. Uh, you can buy Quicken. There are a lot of ways to get to it, but really the, the crux of it is getting everything you own and everything you owe on a page. So I have a bank account. I have two. I might have a checking and a savings account. I've got a retirement plan. Uh, I have a car on the debt side. I have a car payment. I have rent, a rental payment. Um, trying to get an idea of, you know, I have student loans. Trying to get an idea of what you have and what you owe. And then we call that a net worth, right? So that just is a, and, and details are important too. I have a loan that is a, 6.8% student loan. And that 6.8 number is a number that is common because that happens to be the unsubsidized federal loan interest rate. So it's pretty high. There are subsidized loans that are half that, 3.4. So that's an opportunity to identify, okay, well, these are the loans, these higher interest rate loans that I should target. Once you have this balance sheet, so to speak, uh, next good step is a basic cash flow statement. So how much do you have coming in? Uh, and that, you know, the easiest way to do that at first is how much do you have coming in after tax, right? Because in theory, you're earning money, you're getting tax withheld uh, for Social Security, for Medicare, for federal tax, for state tax, depending on where you live. And it's a lot easier as a as a someone starting out and creating a, a budget to say, okay, well, here's my paycheck. Here's what's hitting the bank every month. Uh, and here's my rent payment, and here's my car payment, and here's my utility bill payments. So you can get all of the high-level details in place and say, okay, I have, I have a balance sheet. I have kind of picture of what I own and what I owe. I have a cash flow, which is dollars in versus dollars out. You know, Savings goes on there too, right? If you're putting money in your, in your plans at work or an IRA or, or another account, that's, a, that's an item on your cash flow statement. Uh, that'll at least give you an idea of where you stand and you can assess, okay, I have extra cash flow. Okay, well, what do I do with it? I have negative cash flow. Uh, well, that's something we need to figure out because then that presumes you probably are getting money from somewhere else, uh, some sort of account to make ends meet. We've got so much more to cover and already we're starting to come up against a, a time deadline here. I want to discuss insurance next. But then I think we're going to do a part two on this, where we will pick up the issue of credit cards and buying, leasing a car, taxes, the whole thing. But let's go over insurance right now, because you're talking about putting together a budget, inflow, outflow. Do you need insurance when you are a young person? Uh, yes, yes, and yes. For those individuals who are younger, it is always good to check in with your parents because you may very well still be on their policy, both for car insurance and for health insurance. Um, 
So that's a good first check, right? Do I have insurance? Because I do need it. Uh, if you are great health insurance, you can only do that for so long. Age 26, you're going to get the boot. And if you're not on your own already, you will have to be on your own. Car insurance, again, you know, it it, it will probably make sense for, for multiple reasons that we don't need to get into today to have your own policy, even if mom and dad are paying for it. Uh, but at some point, you're going to need your own policy you're, for car insurance. You're going to need health insurance, which you can get through work in most cases, but not every case. Uh, and you're going to need a policy on the place you reside, whether or not you own it. So you're going to have to get homeowner's insurance when you buy a home, uh, but you don't have to get renter's insurance when you rent an apartment. However, you should definitely do that. Renter's insurance, even good policies are very cost effective and they cover lots of things that you won't think about. Most of which is you got a bunch of stuff in this place that you reside. You don't own this place but you own the stuff in this place. And if something happens to your stuff or something happens to the facility that you're living in, it's your fault. You're on the hook for it unless you have a policy. So that is, that is something that is key that can get overlooked. And again, renter's insurance is not expensive. Uh, there are lots of insurance policies that I mentioned before, and they cost a lot of money. Uh, renter's insurance isn't one of them. So that's one, one I always talk to our younger our folks and, and kids of clients is make sure you have a good renter's policy in place when you go get that first apartment. Joe, do you get the renter's insurance through the same person that sells car insurance or, or where does someone go to get renter's insurance? Yeah, great question. So that you, you can always get renter's insurance through the provider who handles your home insurance and your auto insurance. So they will, they will have a renter's option as well. Uh, so you don't have to go to a separate provider. Uh, they, can, okay. they, can, they can attach that policy easily to any existing policy you have. Or if you just need the renter's policy, you don't have a car and you don't own a home, uh, they can do that as well. What about the big one that's uh, staring you in the face usually? It's life insurance. Is that a good investment? Is that something that you need in your 20s? Yeah, I think that's a great question because uh, probably you know, in your early 20s, I'm going to guess that a lot of people are going to have a friend that went into the insurance business. And at some point, you're going to get a call from them um, about sitting down and talking about you know, your life and need for life insurance. And uh, they're a life insurance salesperson. And life insurance makes sense for a lot of people in certain flavors. But for somebody in their early 20s, until you have um, obligations in life that require it, life insurance probably doesn't make sense. The first time you need life insurance is probably when you either have kids, own a home, or get married. Those are kind of the first triggering events where you might need life insurance. And at that point, it is probably term life insurance, which is a lower cost version of life insurance, uh, not a whole life policy or other variations of that that can cost more. Uh, so most people... Why? Um, why? Why term versus whole? So... Well, first off, why do you not need it until then is a question of, 
who does life insurance protects? By the time you get money from that, you're dead. You don't need it. it it's protecting somebody else. It's not protecting you. So you're, uh, when you, have, you get married, have kids, uh, there's somebody left behind that needs to be protected in case of your death. Um, why a term policy versus a whole life policy? Uh, a whole life policy in theory, can cover you for your entire life. Uh, a term policy only protects for a certain time period. Say 20-year term is a common term policy. They can be shorter. Uh, they can be a little bit longer. So when you think about the protection of children, for instance, or a spouse, you know, they don't need uh, protection from your death your entire life, you know, when you're 90 years old, potentially, they just need protection um, kind of in your prime earning years um, while, you know, for children's, it's certainly while you're, uh, uh, while they're minors not earning their own income. Um, it's a tough thing to think about when you're mid 20s. Um, so, you know, a shorter period uh, makes sense. And the whole life policy, because it protects somebody when they're 90 and they're more likely to die, costs more money. Mm-hmm. Is that an investment, though? It could be looked upon that way, but it's a pretty inefficient investment. Um, it's inefficient in that the, since the costs are so high, um, it's probably a better deal to buy term and invest the difference. Um, so if you can free up cash flow, by buying term insurance instead of whole life insurance, you have more money left over in your cash flow to accomplish any other goal that you have. I think Tom hit it on the head. The way we look at insurance is buy insurance for the need that you are trying to address. So really to boil it down with term life insurance, you're trying to insure against the potential loss of what is your most valuable financial asset for most people, which is their ability to earn an income, right? So if you pass unexpectedly, that's gone. And if you're supporting a spouse and or children, then there's some presumption that your long-term plan includes you working, whether it's me or Tom or anybody else, working for some amount of time, earning an income. And I can kind of get a rough idea of the present value of that income stream over time and then say, okay, well, I need to replace that if if something happens to me. That's where a term policy comes in. Uh, The challenge with the permanent policy is to get enough insurance to effectively address that need. It's cost prohibitive. And the challenge when you're 23 and your buddy comes to you and says, hey, this is the best of both worlds. You can insure yourself. Something happens. And, and it's an investment. So it's, you know, that sounds good, right? When you get your life insurance training, you're trained on how to make it sound good and appealing. The fact is you can protect yourself and invest cost-effectively in a better fashion than buying an insurance policy, which to Tom's point, probably has a lot of fees inside of the policy probably comes with a commission, not probably, it definitely comes with a commission to the person selling it. So, so we would rather, again, buy insurance for the, for the need of insurance, invest for the goal of investing 
And, and those are really two separate activities. There's a time and a place for a permanent life insurance policy, but it isn't for a 23-year-old. All right. We've just scratched the surface here. How can someone reach you if they want information or if they want to bring their 20 or something year old into to sit down with you guys? Sure. You can find us on the web as always at www.fosterandmotley.com. For anybody who wants to reach out via phone, please give us a call. uh, Toll free 1-800-532-2962. All right, guys, Joe Patterson, Tom Guidi, thank you so much. I'm asking listeners to share this episode with the young people in your life and be prepared for part two. We will do a second part on this. We will tackle credit cards, among other things, and buying or leasing a car. Subscribe to Foster and Motley's podcast about life and wealth to get all the latest shows. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content, including mention of specific investments or planning techniques, is for informational and for educational purposes only. It is not intended as a recommendation or a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.